Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Film Focus, episode 76, The State of the MCU. Southeast and West. Welcome to another episode of Film Focused. Thank you for listening today. I am not your host, the Hypersonic 55. No, no, no. I am Drew from Drew's Movie Reviews, and I will be your guest host for this episode. However, don't you fret, because your favorite Brit is here, but he's on the other side of the table. Kurt, how you doing, my man? Yeah, not too bad, my friend. And how are you? I'm doing pretty swell. Thank you for letting me host this episode. I mean, I know it took some negotiation but i think our final agreement was you would let me host in exchange i untied you and let you out of my basement that so. is true and so. you know i mean to be fair it's a nice basement but you know i i kind of miss my snacks at my house yeah well i, I can't i try to be accommodating <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what i want the next time you decide to entrap me mm-hmm. what's that well, I'll, I'll think about it, and then I'll let you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So I hope your listeners aren't getting tired of hearing about the Marvel Cinematic Universe or MCU, because you've been talking about it on your on your show a lot, right? Yeah. Like a, few, a few episodes <laughs> ago, like you had me on, and we talked about the pros and cons, which you ended up having to split into two episodes because we talked for so long. Uh, yeah. You just had you just did the Captain Marvel podcast or the episode uh, not too long ago. Indeed. Uh, and then now we got this one. So, but I mean, it's good reason though. I mean, the the Avengers Endgame is coming out in a couple of weeks, and it's it's going to be huge. It's going to change a lot of things. Damn right. Uh, you know, if, especially if those uh, ticket sales are anything to go by. <laughs> yeah, it's right. It, it it crashed everything. Like I was legit waiting an hour probably to get my my tickets by the time everything was like all the apps are crashed so the website was going really slow it was it was a pain in the ass i know i was there on my laptop and my phone trying to work it at the <laughs> same time and i kept getting so many error messages uh you know just trying to pick the c's and then there was just points where you know is it trying to enter in your card details do you think it's gone through and it's like error message in red and i'm like what is wrong with you why so i i think it was around the same amount of time it took me to get mine as well like you know just just around an hour i'm like oh the feeling of relief i felt like i was like losing you know was it energy from my life just doing that yeah uh, so frustrating but i got him so we're okay sounds like you did too yeah so <laughs> so we made it um so after avengers i gave you like the landscape of the mcu is gonna be very different going into phase four than mm-hmm. it currently is so before before this landmark film happened hits the theaters and on uh, April 26th. I figured now's a good time as any to, to look at the state of the MCU as it is right now and kind of go over a couple of different things. Uh, so we're going to split this into four parts. The, the first two, we're going to look at the good and the bad. Uh, the, and then next we're going to do the... which And so that might overlap a little bit with the, with the pros and the cons that we did last time. Um, but I think in, what we, in our last show we did a little bit more like very specific topics. Whereas for this one, it might, it might be not as in-depth and definitely a little bit more broad 
than that episode. So at least there will be some difference there and not a complete rehash of what we've already talked about. Um, and, then, and then we'll go over some rankings. And then we'll finish up by looking at uh, looking forward uh, at what Marvel Studios has in their upcoming plans. Okay, sound good? Yeah, man, I am looking forward to this. This is going to be very interesting. Yeah, me too. Okay, so first we'll start off by talking about the good of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And for me, I think, honestly, overall, the best thing that they've done so far is the casting. I mean, like, right off the bat, they cast Robert Downey Jr., who just completely put his own spin on the character of Tony Stark. And really, he set, like, the tone for what the for what the whole of MCU is going to be, right? And then just from there, you have, like, greats like Mark Ruffalo, um, all the Chris's, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans... Uh, and Chris Pratt, who all really took their characters and then put a lot of their own spins on them. Um, especially Pratt, who, who when who, who, like when he went into the character of Star Lord, he did no research, and that was intentional. Like the, the I can't remember if it was a director or a producer who told him to don't do research on this guy, just do your own thing. And you know he he did great. Like he's he's funny. Um, he, he can do the action, and so that's you know fantastic. So I think the one that surprised me most, honestly, is Paul Rudd. Like for me, he was always a comedic actor, but in Ant-Man, he did both the comedy he did and the drama, which especially in the scenes with his daughter were just phenomenal. Uh, and then he did the action really well too. Um, and so, like after I saw him in Ant-Man, I was like, all right, Marvel, you have my trust, and. Uh, so if like from then on, I never questioned any casting choices from Marvel. Um, and as I said before, and like both on my uh, on my site a lot, and on your previous podcasts, Spider-Man is my favorite character. Um, so Tom Holland, I think, has been the best Spider-Man we've had so far, and the best Peter Parker. He really has brought together like the best characteristics of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Peter, and really. Um, and then at his own too, his own spin on it. And I think what's best about him is that he's really brought in a lot more of the characteristics of the comic book comic book version of the character than what the previous guys have done. Especially like he's always quipping, he's always talking all the time, uh, which is really annoying for his villains. So uh, yeah, just overall from from the especially from the hero side of things like really really well cast all around yeah yeah I can definitely agree with that I love most of the uh, people that you mentioned Robert Downey Jr. obviously starting the Marvel Cinematic Universe with him was a bit of a gamble considering like you know it's his past and how he was just like you know slowly recovering back in the film industry but talk about the biggest comeback story in the history of Hollywood man he cemented the role so well he owned the character the, to the point where they basically reworked the character in the comics to be just like him. Robert Downey Jr. exudes a certain level of charisma, charm, and loveliness that you just can't help but love. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, I love him just because um, as much as I liked Edward Norton in the uh, previous Hulk movie, he this new version of uh, Bruce Banner was like a little bit more charismatic, light-hearted. He was aware of his um, you know limitations and the you know trying to keep his anchor contained. And he had this wonderful relationship with uh, Tony, which where they became, you know, as to be internet dubbed them like the Science Bros. So uh, just from their little interaction in Avengers, you can see that this was like, you know, a really good bromance there. I love all three of the Chris's. They are all really good. Um, Hemsworth owns Thor so well. Chris Pratt, it was such 
a happy time for me being a Parks and Rec fan, seeing him go from that to this and being able to carry not only the comedic side, but the, you know, more emotional material as well. And uh, Chris Evans, I've always loved that guy since um, I saw him in the Fantastic Four films. And even though he was known for more comedic material in the past, seeing him, you know, take on this role of Captain America, which I wasn't sure he was going to be able to pull off, he did it so well. He's, a, he's you know, brought a lot of aspects to the character that I didn't know I would like about him that I like in film that I don't really care for in the comics really and um, Paul Rudd like you I thought oh yeah this is more of a comedic guy I liked him in Anchorman but nothing more than that so I was just like oh, I don't know if he's going to do it he pulled it off so well in Ant-Man to the point when he showed up in Civil War I was just completely elated he has some of my favourite moments in any of the films like when he's shaking Captain America's hand for too long and all that kind of stuff and uh, Tom Holland as uh, Spidey good god talk about really good casting when he showed up in that film even before he put the suit on he had me. He has all those nice little mannerisms, that youthful demeanor that comes with, uh, you know, a young superhero, but also those aspects that you like about Peter Parker as well. He's fun, he's quippy, he's smart, but he's still trying to figure out his place in the world as well. And the whole dynamic that he has with Tony Stark leads to, you know, is it a really good relationship that they develop in Civil War up until Infinity War? So, you know, when things in Infinity War are happening, you're just like, oh, I feel for this kid, you know? Some good stuff. Mm hmm. Yeah, and and that's just the heroes. I mean, there granted, there's not a whole lot of villains, uh, or any many good villains, I should say, in the in the MCU. But two fantastic ones though are Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston, and Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger. Like they're as good as some of these hero castings that we've had. So Hiddleston has like a sage history, uh, like a, a little bit of a background in the theater. Which is why he's like the perfect fit to play Loki, um, especially in the first Thor, because there was more of a Shakespearean vibe on it. Um, so having that theater background really worked out well, and especially and even just in, the, in his look, like he looks like very similar to Loki in this comic. So that's also another reason why he was well cast, but mostly because because <laughs> of his acting ability and just um, like there's an elegance to him that. Uh, it, it's hard to bring from many actors and then Michael B. Jordan right now he's just on fire like after Fr Fr Fruitville Station and Creed um, I mean he just brings this, this energy and empathy to Killmonger like we're supposed to hate Killmonger but we kind of are rooting for him and it's a lot of because of what what Jordan brings I mean he, he also was Johnny Storm in a Fantastic Four so Maybe that's the key to bringing these characters over is by playing Johnny Storm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when it comes to um, Loki, I love that guy. Uh, straight from the time he showed up in uh, Thor, he grabbed me. He has a certain like uh, charm and like you know, was it delicious evilness that bubbles under the surface? And when he went to Avengers and then became you know, a full-on villain. He really chewed up the scenery, was very theatrical. He wanted to be seen, to be heard, to be loved, to be appreciated, but also he wanted to rule because if he couldn't have Asgard, he wanted to have the next best thing, which would be Earth. And I love the character, his internal struggle, seeing how he's developed, and um, Hillston is just fabulous. Every time he's around, you're just happy to see him to the point where he's not even necessary in some of the other films but just because he is such a great actor 
and you love this character, you want to see more of him. And when it comes to Killmonger, I love him. Straight from the time that he showed up, Michael B. Jordan had such a incredible magnetism to him that draws you to his, uh, you know, was it, appearance on screen. He's... I, write, I liked him in Chronicle, but I think was it uh, Fruitvale Station was the film that really showed that he had like these deeper acting chops that he could pull off. And obviously in Creed he was incredible. And uh, Fantastic Four, I'm surprised that he was able to bounce back, but then obviously he's so talented I shouldn't be that surprised. But in the film he was intense, he was articulate, he was blunt. He spoke about all these really like you know true to life things that most people wouldn't have the balls to say and while he wasn't going about doing some of this stuff in the right kind of way you couldn't help but you know just say oh man you got a point mm, man I can't actually argue against you on that one and um, yeah his physical appearance in that film was just <sighs> me like you know is it <laughs> god I'm Man, like <laughs> he, he looked great. Let's just put it that way. He's whatever Jim, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. He is an attractive. Yeah, fellow. man. I mean, like whatever Jim he was working at, I'm pretty sure he broke the gym. <laughs> he was that good look. Yeah. Good looking. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's no secret that the MCU has a has a villain problem. Uh, like most don't stick around very long or lack any kind of character depth. Um. So we'll touch on that a little bit. It's part of the bad. Uh, but I mean, amid this sea of forgettable and lackluster villains, for you know, like a better term, there are a few that do manage to stand out. Uh, so first off, we have Loki. He's he's a trickster god and Thor's adopted brother. Um, but I think what really sets him apart in, in the MCU as as a villain is that he received just as much growth as his brother and pretty much as, as every other hero over the course of four or five if you really if you, if you want to include infinity war we've seen him go from a, the a villain to an uncertain ally to really being a hero in his, his own right um i mean as we talked about it you know just a short bit ago tom hiddleston uh he he brought so much talent to the character that um it, it makes him empathetic it makes you root for him uh and he just feels something that's straight out of a shakespearean play and I really like much like Robert Downey Jr. or or some of these other Marvel heroes. Like I don't see any actor around today that could really portray Loki. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he sort of owned that role in a really like you know big way. Mhm. And then uh, another one of another great villain is Killmonger. Uh, again, we kind of talked about him before with uh. With Michael B. Jordan and his portrayal and, and and how much he he was able to bring to it, but but you can understand his point of view and how he came to his conclusions despite how wrong and villainous they are. Like it it, it kind of reminds me of Magneto from the X Men series, where he's like Magneto is seen as an extremist or terrorist, but if you boil it down, he just wants to protect you know his race, his mutants, and so that's what Michael B. Jordan is doing as Killmonger in in uh in black panther and so you can understand like why he's doing what he's doing but you know it's the wrong way to do it yeah definitely so, and like and so be, so because of that it adds like this depth to the character that you really don't find in really any of the other villains in the in the marvel cinematic universe yeah yeah oh gosh just jesus so much so much truth there 
Um, and then, so last, but certainly not least, though, we have the big bad of the entire MCU, Thanos. So, like, it took, like, a really long time, like I said, about seven years, to really build him and bring him into an Infinity War. But uh, once he makes contact with our heroes, it's well worth the wait. I mean, I mean, much like uh, Killmonger, like he just want he like he has this idea. He wants to save the universe. It's just very very distorted way of doing it. And uh, Josh Brolin, he brings his gravitas to the character that really uh, adds to him is his intimidation factor i mean like a lot of what a lot of his work is just in his voice like he, he's motion captured so a lot of the the way that thanos is moving is brolin but for the most part he might as well be like a character in an animated film like he has to do everything with his voice and and some of the ways that he can just make you feel the way he wants you to feel just by talking is breathtaking like like the way like the way his voice cracked when he was talking with Gamora on that one planet when he's trying to get the, the, the soul stone like I shed a tear just from the way he was talking to Gamora because one I knew that she was about to die because I realized what happened or what was about to happen but two just to see in his face like how much it was hurting and to, to hear that in his voice like I don't know like not many not I don't cry for villains very often yeah no I totally get you the interesting thing about um Thanos is that for the longest time we were told that this is going to be someone to look out for that he is the big bad that everyone needs to be paying attention to and that what I liked was they were able to take most of the core aspects of his uh, story from the comics but then like retool them in a way that worked for film and still have all those core elements come across he is a man who believes in his plan 100% he'll do whatever it takes but he's not like some sort of maniacal man running around doing things for like no reason. He has a plan. He he's following it to its endpoint, and he believes so much in the plan that he will sacrifice everything for it. And you can see and believe him not only in what he does, but the way in which he acts as well. And Brolin killed it in this role, not only through the uh, you know. Um, uh, motion capture performance stuff but also for his voice you could tell everything was uh you know had weight and his voice with the you know the bellowing tone to it was really really good infinity war was his film he kicked the avengers asses he like took out half the uh you know half life and half of life in the universe um and when he smiled at the end of the film i'm like oh, man i hate you but you're so good at the same time <laughs> Right, or, or like, and the way that they um, really set him up as like being strong was they put him up against the strongest hero, who's the Hulk, and he just whooped him straight up, whooped his ass, and and like that's like to fact, and it, because of that, it scared the Hulk, and so he never came out anymore, and like <laughs> that's a really good way to set up a villain by it's it's like prison rules you find the biggest strongest guy and take him down <laughs> that's what Thanos did pretty much very easily <laughs> yeah so I mean like I don't know I just I really he's pro, he's hands down my favorite villain in the entire MCU because I mean I, I would argue I'd fight anybody that argues otherwise that the Infinity War is Thanos' story 
I want to see you fight someone now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll be honest; it's not going to end well for me, but I can try. Uh, it. <laughs> you know, if you need to tag someone, like you know, just I'm 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 right over here. <laughs> okay, okay. So now I want to go on to like what I think is the most impressive uh, accomplishment that the Mario Studios has done so far, and that's they they've created this clear and connected universe. Even as early as Incredible Hulk, like you could see that they're throwing in all these references and Easter eggs towards these other heroes and characters and the events that happened in these, in these other films. I mean, something even as small as like a simple call out of, um, of like having a picture of Bruce Banner in Peter's classroom alongside all these other pictures of famous scientists. It makes yeah. this, it makes this world feel small. Like even though it's, it's super expansive, like it feels like, like you can feel that connection to this larger universe. I mean, like, one of the cool things about comics in the comics universe is that you, there's always this chance that a hero might show up in another hero's books, and they're always doing these crossovers, and they're, they're referencing each other. And the, and the MCU has taken that, and that template, and they shifted it from print to film, basically, and it's created, like, one of the most unique experiences in cinema, like, up to this day. Oh, yeah. I mean, just... It's incredible how wonderfully interwoven everything is uh the references whether they're subtle or like you know overt some of them you can't help but smile at one of my favorites was uh you know at the end of iron man 2 when they found thor's hammer before we had gotten to asgard it just set you up with all these this hype and anticipation that we were going to be leaving earth and going into space and seeing what the marvel cinematic universe was like you know beyond earth which was always uh you know, an interesting concept to me because I love my sci-fi uh, related material. But also, um, you know, like when you go into uh, Ant-Man and then he has to go about and steal, like, you know, is it that specific, like, you know, uh, hardware that he needs for, um, I can't remember what the plan was. But yeah, then he had to go to an area which ends up being the Avengers facility and then he run into Falcon. I'm like, yo, it's my boy. What's going on? So um, again, it's nice to have like these... Uh, nice little uh, connective tissue between like the films to let you know that not only this is a cinematic universe but these guys can cross over one of my favorite other references crumbs i just lost it uh no i do have it again this one is a silly one but this one was just fun um you in iron man 3 you hear uh tony uh you know monologuing uh like he's recounting the story mm -hmm. to someone who yeah. you think is us but then at the end of the film, you find out that he's been talking to, you know, Bruce Banner the entire time. But then the dude's fallen asleep. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I'm not that kind of doctor. And he's just like, uh, and he was just saying that he had fallen asleep basically near the start of the story. So I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, it's, it's just good. Like, um, just to have this uh, interconnected world with, you know, verbal and visual references. I think one of the verbal references that really got me was during... Uh, Winter Soldier, when um, Sitwell was talking about like um, Arn Zola's like you know algorithm, and then he mentioned Stephen Strange. I'm like, oh my god, Stephen Strange! Doctor Strange! I freaked out so hard, it was awful. Um, obviously, I tried to keep myself contained in the cinema, but I was just like, my sister's like, what are you going on about? Like, you talk about Doctor Strange? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a good time. Yeah, and like just creating that cohesiveness and connected tissue like you never would have thought like if, if you were to say that like 20 years ago that that there'd be this sh shared universe 
of all these films. Like, people think you're nuts. I mean, like, shared universes aren't a new thing. Um, I mean, like, you have things like the Predator and the Alien existing in the same universe. You have the, like, the Tarantino-verse. Oh, yeah. All, and how all of his hook up together. But there's a, still a distinct barrier between these like they make cute references to each other like the like the alien skull appearing at the end of predator 2 and and things like that but yeah like nothing like this has ever been attempted before and the fact that they've done it like they've they've managed to keep everything connected in a way and make them feel connected and feel like they truly do it exist in the same universe is amazing and when you're creating universe as expansive as the MCU, you have to have someone, or like a group of someone's, oversee it. And for Marvel Studios, that person is Kevin Feige. And it's him overviewing things like what comes up, how it connects to what's already been established, and what's coming up. And just forming this overall cohesion between the films, like both what's happened and what's going to happen, and what's already been established, is really what helps keep everything together, right? Like so, and one of my personal th- pet peeves is uh continuity errors and story continuity errors which is fantastic for me as a comic book viewer a comic book reader yeah <laughs> right um but i mean overall like there hasn't hasn't been too many discrepancies i mean there's a whole eight years later thing that happened in homecoming but for the most part they're, they're it's pretty solid and all that's come from kevin feige just overseeing the story and making sure everything fits in the narrative that he knows is what's going on because otherwise you might have a mess like the x-men or maybe not who knows right but <laughs> uh when, but we can't say for sure is that it's not like that and kevin feige has been instrumental in the in the success of the universe building in the mcu so far oh yeah definitely um kevin feige which a lot of people refer to online as like you know our lord and savior um is <laughs> is not hard to see why people have gotten behind him Every time you hear him talk in an interview or you read up on what he says, he clearly understands the source material which he's adapting. He is, he has such a wealth of knowledge. And it also helps that before he stepped in as like, you know, was it the main, uh, uh, you know, architect for Marvel Studios, he had worked on a number of Marvel films prior to this, especially in the X-Men universe, like uh, right, way back in 2000. So he understood the business of like, you know, the movie side of things, but he'd also seen how films have been adapted into live action right when you know comic book films started to like you know really pick up so he had taken all that knowledge taken it to marvel and then said okay this is what we're gonna do we're gonna try and make it as accurate to the source material as possible but also adapt it in a way which feels tangible and logical and hearing the way he um obviously spoke about uh you know going back to world war Two. Or, you know, going to space with the Guardians, or taking us to Asgard, or taking us to, like, you know, was it the, uh, the Microverse, or, or what do you call that bloody thing, like, you know, was it the, uh, the Quantum, the quantum Realm, verse. sorry, that's the one, yeah. sorry, yeah. And, you know, then going into, like, you know, different dimensions with Doctor Strange, every time you listen to what he's saying, you're like, I see what you're saying, I trust what you're saying, whatever you got, we're gonna be behind you, because for the most part, I'd say at least... 90-95% of the time the guy's never steered us wrong. He introduces a lot of really interesting stuff and he normally makes good on his promises 100%. So Feige, he is just, he's one of those sort of guys that 
almost every other studio needs. He is the key. He is one of the keys to the like Marvel success. And when you see other studios trying to attempt either cinematic universe or trying to you know create a series of films that have a certain level of success, you do need an overarching architect. You would require just to make sure that everything feels clean, consistent, good, up to scratch. Uh, everyone sort of needs their own Feige. He he's a don. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, and and like I said, I've been kind of watching some of these, um, like the special featurettes in some of the movies, uh, especially for like Phase Two. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously for because he's he's the executive producer and overall architect of of everything. He's a part of a lot of those featurettes, and listening to him talk and explain things and kind of give his reasoning about why this happened in this movie, and and why they chose that this person to play this character, like you just just him talking to you, you feel comfortable and and you you feel like you feel that he he knows what he's talking about and you trust him yeah yeah definitely and so with with him overseeing the mcu there's just been like this wonderful and extraordinary build-up to our big bad of thanos and his appearance in infinity war right so like when nick fury showed up at the end credits scene of avengers that filled fanboys and fangirls with excitement once they realized what marvel was trying to accomplish they just went giddy right like myself included like when i saw nick fury i'm like oh <gasps> and my buddy like he like he's you know he likes that goes like those kind of characters too but he he nowhere near like what i did and but what really sent set everybody to a tizzy was that when Thanos made that appearance at the end of uh, or at the mid credit scene of Avengers, like yeah, it was yeah. clear that, that Avengers and everything in just in Phase One was just a stepping stone into what into Marvel's larger plans. Like many assumed, like like myself, that Avenger that Thanos was going to be the 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 villain in uh, in Avengers Two, which you know it, he wasn't. He was you know the uh, that was Ultron in, in Avengers 2 um, but just because he didn't show up they still spent the time to build uh, but like build the anticipation of his uh, the anticipation of his arrival oh um, yeah like so he was given him only a minor role in Guardians of the Galaxy and that really kind of sold like how feared he was across the across the, the galaxy and across the universe and then there was he, he didn't show up again until uh the, the final stinger in, uh, in Age of Ultron where he got the, like where he took out the Infinity Gauntlet and he's like, fine, I'll do it myself. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that also kind of helped build up the hype that he was finally, he was getting ready to show up. Uh, but really, he wasn't seen until in Phase 3 until Infinity War. But, and so they kind of let that, in, in taste, in, they, they let that anticipation like simmer. But even, even though Thanos wasn't around, they still were working towards Infinity War because they knew that Infinity War was going to be all about the Infinity Stones you know, along with Thanos and that's part of his story um, so Marvel spent like Phase 2 and Phase 3 setting up and explaining the, these objects and their power and, and why they're important and they really worked as a lot of plot devices for like their own individual films but it all worked towards Infinity War so like for seven years, right, uh, t since 2012, and this, like when they first in introduced Thanos, they were building up Thanos and Infinity War. And there was a lot of expectations going into that. Because you can't build this character in, or like this final product for uh, like seven and ten years and not make it 
worth that payoff. Like they couldn't drop the ball, right? And yeah. uh, in Marvel fashion, they delivered. They delivered on everything and, and all the expectations. Yeah, man. Um, like you said, it was just that whole concept of Thanos looming in the background uh, after you saw his uh, first appearance at the end of uh, Avengers, and th- with the introduction of like you know the individual Infinity Stones, all of them serving a purpose within their film, but towards this greater narrative, you're just like, okay, so this one does this, this one does that. Okay, cool. You get to learn about a few more locations, and then obviously with. Um, Thor's weird, like, you know, uh, pool vision that he had in uh, Age of Ultron, he became aware that, like, you know, something larger was at play. So if the audience were aware of it by that point, then they definitely were when, you know, Thor was just like, you know what, I've got to go on this quest now. I have a feeling that we're, you know, was it, we, we might be screwed, you know, in the future. So um, I'm just going to go, like, you know, searching, searching for some answers. And, um, with each film there was different levels of like uh, danger that you know new and recurring heroes had to face but you could sense this feeling of escalation that the danger was like you know slowly ascending and it reached this sort of unnecessarily like you know was it uh you know what's the word for talk yeah uh stressful that's the word I'm looking for <laughs> it reached this unnecessary stressful level when we got to infinity war because this was the point where everyone was just like yeah this is no one's beating around the bush anymore this is all out war and death um and you know while we still have moments of humor and stuff like that you know characters that you like uh you know you everybody's in danger in some way shape or form whether you're talking about vision and wonder or you know was it spidey tony and uh dr strange in space and like uh you know even the guardians they had their whole crap to deal with especially after they ran into thor and then start and had to go after um you know was it the collector to see what happened on nowhere and obviously that place was had gone to crap and uh you know you have um thanos's little like you know was it uh pests running around like you know was it doing his little bidding um those those guys are a pain in the ass as well so yeah no it's great uh just again there was this slow yet looming sense of danger continuously like uh, amplified as these films went on to different degrees and then when everything sort of came together in infinity war it was just like yeah man this this kind of feels like the end of days <laughs> and so what i think what i appreciate most about the marvel series and what they've done with mcu is is their penchant for taking risks right like to start even attempting to build such an expansive and intricate and interconnected franchise is a risk i mean like mm-hmm. I, as i kind of mentioned before like shared universes were nothing new but it's nothing to the scope of what we've seen on this like each character kind of has their own like mini franchise yeah. but they're but then the fact that they're encompassed by this larger franchise in, in the entire what let's say 100 years 110 years of of cinema yeah in the entire history there's literally nothing like it so even just attempting that is is a risk i mean like you can kind of see that in phase one they kind of had like this um it was like a trial period of sorts like if they only made it to avengers like that's fine like all the phase like phase one could be considered complete right like if you just end it there that's like with avengers it's a complete story Mm -hmm. Uh, but to keep it going for so long like that's like financially that's a risk but i mean it, we've seen it work out for him and then after getting that initial hurdle of even getting it off the ground like in the beginning like they didn't even have a lot of the characters like if you remember sony still had spider-man and the fantastic four yeah. and uh 
and there wasn't even close to a Sony deal yet, which when it happened, I honestly surprised everybody. Disney buying 20th Century Fox was nothing but a pipe dream. Like again, like I, I had no fantasies about the X-Men showing up in the MCU, and now in a couple of years that could very well happen. Uh, so, so, so they had to reach down into like the depth of their catalog for characters that maybe not that maybe weren't their most popular characters in their franchises, and had they and they had to bring those onto the screen. So like for example, like Guardians, like no one really knew who they were and it was predicted to be marvel's first real flop and so it had no apparent connection with any of their previous films right and on top of that two of their characters was a talking raccoon talking raccoon and a talking tree like how absurd does that sound but i mean like th- thankfully james gunn he man, he thrives in that absurdity and and with his fun script excellent cast and catchy soundtrack that's like one of their best films that they have oh yeah definitely my gosh the uh awesome thing about the uh mcu like you said is that they take risk um but the crazy thing to me is just how they've been able to you know just take all these b to d list characters that honestly unless you're a combat fan you really didn't give a monkeys about who these people were they maybe care about like you know is it iron man captain america Thor, Guardians, Ant-Man, and all that sort of stuff. It was really crazy when we, before Iron Man came out, I was like, I don't care about Iron Man. He's just a dude with a, you know, iron armor that kind of looks cool, but I don't care about that. But then when I saw that first trailer, I'm like, okay, Marvel, you have my attention. I saw the film, and I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't I not love this before? Like, you know, Iron Man's freaking sweet. So, uh, you know, then you get to, um, you have like a couple Iron Man films and a Hulk, and they're fairly successful. Then you tell me we're going to Asgard? We're going to be dealing with all those dudes and all the uh, extra stuff that comes with the realms and all their abilities. I'm like, this is going to be crazy. If you guys can pull this off, then you're magic people. And they did it. And then I'm like, oh, you guys are going to make an Avengers film now. I don't know if that's going to work. If you can pull that off, you're going to be gods. And they did it. And I was like, holy crap. So then we get this God is the Galaxy film. I'm like, what kind of, like team up is this you got like a what one human a, a few aliens that consist of you know like you said a raccoon in a tree this ain't gonna work they made it work same thing with ant-man and then dr strange and all this other sort of stuff they 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 make things happen they make what shouldn't work work and you know with some of their casting you you have like some unconventional choices that you don't think is going to work you go to these crazy worlds where things shouldn't make sense but they make them work. There is a lot of things that shouldn't be able to work, but they've had the right creative teams, the right people, the right vision, and they've stuck to their guns since they started, and they have not led us astray. It's delightful. It's wonderful, and it's just very, very fun to watch. As uh, you know, as someone who is aware of the source material, just trying to see how they make these things tangible and just continue to go, incredible. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and I think, uh, like, later on, well, no, sorry, over, I think earlier on, like, they were much more rigid in kind of, like, what they expected out of their movies and, and kind of where they wanted some of their stuff to go in terms of, like, um, what what they wanted their directors to do. Yeah. So, like, there wasn't as much creative freedom early on, I don't, I don't think, anyway. Um, 
which is part of the reason why uh, uh, Edgar Wright has ended up leaving Ant-Man because of creative differences in terms of like what Marvel was saying to do. But I, as they've gone on, like Marvel has kind of understood that their their directors are kind of what's driving these films and what's making them different and making them successful. So they've allowed them to have more creative freedom, and and now we have things like Thor Ragnarok, that if like I don't I don't see Thor Ragnarok have being made in like early phase two, just based on kind of how, what they were doing at the time. So I'm really glad that they realized that they needed to give directors more room to work and do their own thing, because then we have great films like Ragnarok. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Good times for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So I think the last thing I want I want to talk about in for the the positives really is um, is the tone and formula. Like so, in in phase one, Marvel Studios still wasn't sure quite yet what they wanted and, and what would work um, because they were just you know like putting their foot in the water and testing the waters. So they were experimenting with a couple different styles and tones in their films. Uh, but then at, once you got into you know Avengers and into Phase Two, two they really began to have this common tone throughout all of their movies, and and this shared type of humor. And honestly, I think a lot of this has to do with Robert Downey Jr.'s his version of Tony Stark and how he was so sarcastic, and what Joss Whedon had done in Avengers and what he had done with the humor. And I think between the the combination of the writing and the humor, the, all that has has been what's dubbed like the Marvel formula, like quote unquote. And, yeah. and while it, it kind of removes some of the individualism from the films, I think in a way it kind of works to bring them together because then the audience at least has some sort of an expectation when they're going into a Marvel film of what to see. And it also kind of prevents them from going way too dark because let's be honest, that's DC's territory. <laughs> yeah. Well, until recently, at least, anyway. But, um, <laughs> yeah, until the new ones. Yeah, but um, no, I totally get it. The uh, great thing about the Marvel films is that, especially by the time you got into um, better side of, like, you know, phase two, and I don't mean better as in better side of films, I just mean, like, you know, I guess the latter side of phase two, there was a formula in play that everybody had sort of come to expect, uh, you know, going for after uh, post-Avengers um, and Guardians world most of these films had a fairly consistent tone where it was like, you know, this is fun for, you know, um, all families. Uh, you get a bit of seriousness, a fair amount of humor here and there. Characters all are individual, but they'll crack a few jokes here and there just to, you know, as it break up a few of the more like serious moments. And for the most part, the tone has never let, led us astray. It's always, there's always something new and interesting to laugh at and enjoy with most of these Marvel films. They fill you with uh, hope, adventure, you know, thrilling action, and all these uh, other bits in between. But the humor is definitely one of the uh, best elements. Uh, you know, the amount of like times I've came into a Marvel film and come out laughing and talking about some of my favorite moments. You know, Loki getting thrown about in Avengers to um, Drax just being so happy when they crashed into Ronan's ship to... Um, was it... <laughs> Oh gosh, um, the uh, bit in Spider-Man Homecoming where they were talking about the homecoming dance and um, that one guy is asking Betty, like, you know, if she has a date and she basically says yes and the way the camera just lurks on his face, I'm like, oh god, just the awkwardness of it all was just beautiful. 
Um, there's just so many wonderful humorous moments in the MCU that just make these films just fun to do, watch each time. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so that's all I had to talk about for like for the good. Is there, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up about what you think was, was good about the, the MCU? Nah, I think we've covered everything in a fairly expansive way. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> good. Alright, so the next we're going to move on to the bad in the MCU. So we've talked about a couple of the villains so far. But honestly, in 21 movies, if there's only three good villains that stand out, that's kind of a problem. Like, I might include the Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming in there to make it four. Because uh, yeah. he, he, he was decently, you know, like a, a well-written and well-cast uh, antagonist for Spider-Man Homecoming. But, oh, I mean, definitely. again, if, if, if you include him... That's only four, and a lot of it deals with because they don't, because all these villains don't make it past a single movie, you know, to make it into another film, uh, like whether that's a part of that that franchise or the whole MCU itself. I mean, because a lot of times they're killed off, which doesn't help that, right? And just because they're in one movie doesn't mean that they can't make an impact. I mean, if you look at Killmonger, he was only in in the Black Panther, but he like made. He was so good, made such an impact, and and he's in he's in our top three, but most of these villains aren't written that way to be set up as memorable or, or impactful. I mean, like not every villain has to be a Loki or a Killmonger. I mean, like I might excuse Ronan because in in Guardians because when, when like when you're trying to make a cast movie, especially one that has like six people in it, like like you have to cut some character development somewhere. So at that point. Ronan is just exists as a reason to bring the, all our heroes together. So I kind of like give him a pass because uh, because there wasn't any room to really build him. But also in a kind of way like they kind of use him because every character, every guardian has a history with him. So that kind of helps because he's not developed. At least he kind of has like something and some connection with the team. So it kind of helps. But I mean, if you look at every other villain, like they're they're not great. Like you ha- like they're all they're almost all like one-dimensional and and sometimes you're just straight up cheesy um sometimes you're just poor casting like like for a franchise that's lasted for over 10 years that's that's not okay oh yeah definitely the interesting thing about the mcu is that their heroes are always really really good really solid well-defined and there's not many issues you could have with them save for maybe some like uh, minor changes to like some of their you know character traits as the sequels and crossovers have gone on but with the villains it's been a constant like you know as it staying on an otherwise fairly clean slate of films and even when their characters aren't like you know was it necessarily bad they can just be you know non-existent boring uh uneventful and sometimes that can be just as bad as having a bad villain, really. Uh, so, you know, one of my less... Okay, so you know what? Actually, let me rephrase it. One of my least favorite villains is uh, Whitlash from Iron Man 2. Because Whitlash, he's a character who has a combination of two characters mashed into one. He's He has the, uh, I think, real-life identity of the Crimson Dynamo. But he's not the Crimson Dynamo, he's Whitlash. Although by the time he gets that sort of armor suit at the end of the film, he might as well be a sort of crimson whiplash, and it's just stupid. 
The annoying thing is that there are certain characters who aren't utilized to their full potential. And I understand that as a villain, they're not the main focus of the film and there's only so much time that they can devote to them. However, there are just some of these characters who have been adapted and just not been, you know, used to their, like I said before, full potential. Red Skull, for instance, is a character I really like from the comics because he's smart, he's devious, he's cunning, he has this long-standing beef with Captain America, and Hugo Weaving did a good job in the first Avenger, that much I cannot deny, and his look was pretty much spot on to the comics, but Red Skull, I believe, just doesn't have the same level of smarts and cunning and tacticalness that he's demonstrating in the comics, so that when he disappeared, I was like, well, you know, I'd like to see more of you, but you didn't leave as much of an impact on me as I would like. It's unfortunate because there's a lot of really cool looking characters who you can see their potential but they've just been written in a way to be, you know, just fairly basic. Mm. Yeah, and like I'll, I'll be honest with you, like this this didn't rather this didn't really bother me too much until Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. Uh, yeah. Because that was like the perfect time to really have like this villain that's a mirror of the hero. But not in the sense of, like, they have the similar powers like we've seen. And like you said, like, in Whiplash or in Ironmonger or, like, like most of the other things up to that point. Like, like, like Red Skull was, like, a bad super soldier, right? So, like, they're all, like, physical mirrors. But when it came to Ant-Man, like, there could have been, like, this psychological mirror almost. Because both the hero and the villain had the same mentor. And so there was this perfect opportunity to show what can happen if these two people had the same mentor and went down two different paths, and they didn't take that, which like like when I realized that was really, really a letdown. Oh yeah, yeah, I can totally understand that and um, see where you're coming from with it, because that's what I thought that they were developing too. But then as the film went on and then you saw that the guy had just essentially just gone crazy and they didn't really tap into that sort of uh, student mentor mentality and how that related to Scott it was just like oh guys man it's just it wasn't that hard you had it right there and you just sort of let it get away from you yeah exactly so and as awesome as it is to see how connected and interwoven all these films have been like we talked about before just like how they connect to each other i feel like that expansiveness is also a double-edged sword because it can be very daunting for newcomers into the franchise to really jump in like even if they only wanted to follow say like one or two of their favorite heroes that requires more than just their solo films like if you if you watch if you want to follow iron man you have to watch iron man one two avengers three um avengers uh, age of ultron spider-man homecoming and then you know the infinity war and endgame that's that's seven movies just to follow for one character and then if you want to do other heroes on top of that you know like that's it's a lot to, to kind of try to keep track of and e- even if they want to watch everything um after captain marvel came out there's the entire mcu itself is 45 hours long if you add an end games three hour runtime that's 48 hours for 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 one film franchise that's a lot of time commitment so to try to come in now for a new uh, for a newcomer is really intimidating oh yeah i mean um it's one of those sort of like uh crazy things about this franchise uh it's been described as a long-running tv series with a new installment just expanding upon like this uh long-running show and as someone who's been there from the beginning, watching it expand and like uh, seeing all these twists and turns and changes and revelations is fantastic. 
but I've never really stopped to think, especially in like 2018, uh, how much content there is out there for the new viewer to take in. Like if I was to, you know, ever have children at some point, trying to introduce them to this is going to be a long-winded experience. Uh, just because, you know, you have everything in phase one, two, and three, with the each phase having more films than the last, and then having more interlocking elements. So if there's certain characters that you're not interested in, uh, you might not be able to skip that one because it might have crucial information or character-based stuff that will feed into the next one. And this tangible universe of interconnected stuff, as wonderful as it is, it just leads to that whole feeling of, oh yeah, crap, if I'm watching this, I'm going to have to watch that as well, if I want to get that full experience. And while it's not entirely necessary, you can get away with, you know, not having seen certain films, I feel like you are robbing yourself of certain experiences doing it that way. So yeah, it's, it is a double-edged sword. It's something wonderful, but also something just crazily daunting for anyone who hasn't jumped in already. Yes. And why, like, why this is an efficient way to ensure consistency, like, like again, like we talked about, it does have downsides. I mean, like, one of the side effects of following such a blueprint is that many of the characters end up tending to feel very similar. I mean, if you look at Tony Stark and Stephen Strange, and maybe eventually, like, the later on Thor, I feel like they're all similar characters. They all have a similar sense of humor, they're arrogant, and, they ha- and especially in, in, in the sense of Stark and Strange... They're just rich assholes, and yeah. and and just also like if you kind of go outside them as a whole, everyone kind of feels quick-witted. And at one point, I was talking to to a friend of mine about this and about like the shared humor and whatnot, and he made the comment, um, "Every character is ready with a quip, and that's not how everyone talks," which is very true. Like not everybody is clever enough to immediately come up with some sort of a retort. But if you were to watch the MCU, you would think that they are. And it's alright if not everyone is like a Stark or Fury that has a comeback ready. But you need to have a variety in the personalities, right? And so by adding a, this variety in the characters and the films and the franchise as a whole, it becomes more entertaining because there's like these different flavors and rather than the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's one of those sort of things that, again, I love the MCU for all the humor it provides, but at the same time, you know, sometimes the humor can come at the uh, cost of some of the more serious aspects of the film. You know, uh, this became fairly apparent to me with um, Thor Ragnarok as the biggest example. A lot of people love that film for its comedic elements, and that's not to say the film isn't fun and funny. I love that stuff just as much as the next person. However, there were just certain times where I was watching the film, and I'm like, this joke didn't need to be here this is sort of undercutting the more serious nature of this and I think I first noticed the whole characters feeling the same was by the time we got to Age of Ultron because as much as I like some of the jokes in there there were just points where I felt like everyone sort of turned into Tony Stark and had like you know just a one-liner to say as a retort to someone else or just you know a line to say just in general I'm like so when did everybody become so snarky and humorous and you know Tony Stark-esque it's a little troubling to me. You know, everyone still sort of retained most of their, like, you know, personality traits, but there were just a lot more, you know, quips. And I'm like, is this really necessary? Um, and now we're in a point in the MCU where, for the most part, 
I think they're, you know, a little better about it. It wasn't as bad in um, Captain Marvel, although there were certain humorous moments that just didn't work for me. But again, I'm a fickle person when it comes to humor, so I might just be the odd one out when it comes to that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So in going back and watching some of these, you know, like watching as many of the movies as I can and in, in ready in preparation for Endgame, I do feel like each of the movies, like they do a good job of of maintaining like, their own tone but i feel like there's this like just behind the veil there's this, this air of lightheartedness which really undermines the feeling that something unexpected or drastic will happen like not everything has to be serious but at the same time you need stakes to help create tension which in turn make the films more exhilarating because if you yeah. know if you know when a hero is going to walk away unharmed i mean like whether it's physically unharmed or emotionally unharmed that tension gets it gets undercut it's like over over these last 21 movies really not a lot has, has changed in the mcu i mean like you could say that the whole thing with hydra and, and winter soldier was franchise altering but there's only one movie in between the winter soldier and age of ultron and those guardians of the galaxy and which was wait you know is in space it had nothing to do with that so uh we never got to really see the fallout of hydra because in the be- in the first 10 minutes of of Age of Ultron, they're taking over the last Hydra base, and all the Hydra stuff was dealt with in Agents of Shield. So like that had the opportunity to really change things. And yeah, like it's okay that there was only the one, the one film, but they they eliminated Hydra like as soon as they made this giant change. Like especially with Hydra being such a big organization in the comics, just to kind of like introduce them and then have them disappear. That's that's like criminal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a thing that's just it's it's troublesome. Uh, just out of all the wonderful things that we have, there's just like these these minute issues that uh, prevent me from loving this thing one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Or like, or like even if you look at like um, the whole superhero civil war and Captain America civil war. Uh, like there was several films in between Civil War and, and Infinity War that they could have explored that changed dynamic a little bit. I mean like you had movies like Doctor Strange Guardians of the Galaxy Two and Thor Ragnarok that kinda of existed in their own corners. And it was briefly mentioned in Homecoming a little bit, but there was really nothing that uh really dove into like the the new dynamic of the fact that you the superheroes had to be registered. And so like some heroes had to um, hide from the government essentially like when the Civil War happened in the comics like the Civil War in the comics was huge like there was it literally touched every single book that they uh, that they published and the repercussions were felt for like almost 10 years like like it's it's not um, it's changed like a little more recently but like I said for, for like for the better part of a decade like it affected uh the Marvel's stories. So when when I saw that they were coming out with Civil War on the screen, I was like, "Oh, this will be great. We can we can see all this stuff and see kind of how it how having to register uh, as a as like your superpowers and as a superhero affects these these characters like physically, well not physically, but how it affects them mentally and um, and how they start to operate. And we didn't get any of that because and and then by the time Infinity War comes around and when we know that Thanos is going to show up, we know that they're going to become friends again. So that's just 
again another chance to really create some lasting stakes or, or it's like sort of like a shake up and and I just dropped the ball yeah it, it, it does it is troubling again um, just the superhero registration thing there's just small subtle things that they could have done maybe like um, you know a bit of dialogue here and there or maybe you open the film with uh, you know the government running around trying to figure out like you know is it which superheroes are out there who haven't been registered um, you could maybe even give small cameos to like you know lesser known superheroes or you know people that might be in suits not even show like major people you know give illusions that they're out there and show that they have been registered or with the whole Hydra thing by the time we got to Age of Ultron, like, you know, according to the Avengers, they'd essentially taken out, like, you know, almost all of Hydra, and that one base that they were hitting was the last major stronghold. I'm like, well, that was quick. That was only, like, a bloody year ago. Like, where's the rest? Uh, surely there must be other Hydra people running around on the ground doing things. I want to see more fallout from this. So there are certain things that's been introduced that there wasn't long enough for, you know, whatever sort of major re revelation that they'd put out there to, you know, simmer and, you know, just exist in this sort of new normal as they phrased it back in uh you know was it buffy days so yeah i, w I would like to see more of that going ahead if they have enough time because i know that films only have a finite amount of time to exist get audience attention and then move on to the next thing but it would be nice just to have a few more expansive details just to flesh out some of these like you know major happenings mm -hmm. and again i was talking with actually another friend kind of about this yeah. too and to kind of tie in with um, the fact that there's no Black Widow movie yet, I feel like the two great opportunities that they could have used to have Black Widow have her own movies is right after both of the other Captain uh, Captain America movies. Like so, right after um, so right after the Winter Soldier, kind of deal with the fact that Hydra's out there and that all of her secrets are out there, and we can delve into her past, and that'd have been the perfect time to kind of view that status quo because she was there you know when all that happened she was a part of that story so kind of see how it affected her and you can bring in some like the other shield characters and some of the other and like say hawkeye and um especially if, and if you're doing it for phase two kind of try to get banner in there to, like that way the whole um natasha bruce love thing in age of ultron is out of nowhere and really weird like like that was a good chance to do that and then to put another one after civil war sometime like maybe not immediately after civil war but in the some and then time after civil war at least to kind of examine the, this world of heroes now where the heroes themselves are divided because again to go back to the comics after civil war happened like there's essentially two avengers teams there was an avengers that was sponsored by the u.s government who, who were registered and and were sanctioned and then like the secret avengers who were trying to be heroes but under the radar and i think that would yeah. have been like the perfect like black widow movie to kind of in introduce like this s secret avengers and to kind of see this world now where heroes can't be heroes and we never got that yeah it's it's annoying again that you have so, so many of these uh notable events that you know the films are inspired by but they just don't take it to that level and again these are adaptations I understand that there can be deviation from the source material but when you have such strong source material to work off of and you know that it would make for a really cool and interesting film event and it's just not utilized you can't help but sigh and just think of what could have been <laughs> yeah right, so that's all I had for 
my my bad of the MCU. Is there anything else you want to talk about for for the bad? Uh not really. It's sort of been encompassed within the stuff that we discussed so far. So that's cool. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So the next we're gonna move on to rankings. So I'll leave it up to you. Do you want to start with the bottom five or the top five? Uh, you know what? Even if I was to think about this, my five would fluctuate. So, um, I don't know. Uh, you could decide. This is this is your show. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, so let's uh, <laughs> let's start with the bottom five. All okay. Right, so we'll go and so, so so we're gonna go from not quite the worst to the worst, right? So we'll go seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. Okay. Okay. So my bottom five are the Incredible Hulk. It's Thor. Captain America the First Avenger, Iron Man 2, and then Thor the Dark World. And huh. the thing is, like, like on my website, like, I've ranked all of those as good. Uh, like, on the, on, the, on, the way that my, on the way that my rating system works, I have bad, okay, good, great. So all of those are good to me. But the fact is that there's so much better in the MCU right now like and if you look at them four of those five are in phase one so that's when they're still kind of like like I said before like they're testing the waters and trying to get a feel for stuff Um, like when Incredible Hulk first came out I really liked it it just it sucks that it's kind of become like this redheaded stepchild of the MCU right now Um, yeah but like I I put that up there as one of my favorites you know up up through like a lot of phase two even uh and then thor i I, like i like the the uh like what they did with it but it just again i don't think it was just quite there yet um captain america was kind of fun as a as a period piece uh but i don't there just wasn't a whole lot to it to me um iron man 2 i think they like they did well for for how much they were trying to cram into it because they were clearly trying to build towards avengers I think there's just a little bit too much going on, and so it just didn't it didn't feel whole to me. And Thor: The Dark World was, I mean, it was entertaining, but it just it didn't feel like there was a whole lot of substance to it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right. Uh-huh. So, what are your bottom five? Okay, so this is I've never really had to think about this so much, so now I'm actually like you know pondering, and I'm like, I think I've posed my list. Um, okay, so. My least favorite MCU film is Thor The Dark World, um, purely because as interesting as it was and has some nice stuff in there, I feel like it's the most inconsequential film to me. I feel no need to go back to that one, so that's why I just, I have no love for it, I guess. <laughs> um, Iron Man 2 is pretty far down there as well. It bothers me because the thing is, the first time I saw it, I thought I quite liked it. There was certain stuff I liked about it more so than the first, but then at the same time, of upon watching it again, there's just a lot of really annoying things that I'm not overly keen on with the way in which they handle certain character and story elements. Uh, Hulk, uh, like you, I quite liked the film at the time. I definitely think it's uh, a lot better than that 2003 film, but there's a lot of things that I wish they had done with, um, you know, Hulk, Abomination, and some other, like, you know, stuff with the relationship between um, Banner and, like, Thunderbolt Ross that could have been improved. 
um, Cap number one, you know, first Avenger. It took me a good few years to start to come around on that film because when I first saw it, I thought it was good. But the main thing that bothered me about it was the uh, undercooked version of Red Skull and the um, montage-based uh, nature of the action sequences once uh, Cap gets in his full uniform and starts using his uh, notable version of his shield. And then um, is that Man in the Wasp for me, to be honest. That film was good, but I wanted better than good at the time. And that's not because I had just come off of Infinity War. I quite liked the first Ant-Man a fair amount. And this film had a lot of really interesting and fun elements to it, but I feel like it, it could have been more. Um, so yeah, it just didn't do it for me in the way which I would have liked personally. <laughs> okay. Alright, so then for top five, I'll let you go first for this for Oh, this thank round. you. You're so nice. <laughs> I know. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a generous host. Um, okay, so... So, so, so start with to... fifth and work your way t- onto your number one. Oh, this is going to be tricky. Okay, so my fifth one is Iron Man. I've watched that film more times than I've actually, like, you know, realized. And every time I watch it, I still get that same feeling I did when I saw it back in 2008. It's such a clean, well-done origin story. And regardless of how they've handled Tony Stark's character after that point, you can really get behind this guy. He is, you know, not a very nice person, but then goes on a journey, learns about himself, and then decides to create these really cool suits to battle evil. It's so much fun. The CGI is still very clean for a film that came out 11 years ago, um, which is kind of strange to say because that was still in an era where CGI was pretty good. But, you know, considering the inconsistent nature of like the way in which special effects are used with live action these days, it's still nice just to see, you know, a film that uses practical and, uh, you know, digital effects in a really good way. Um, number four, oh, dangerous. I think I'll go with Infinity War. Infinity War was pretty much everything I wanted and then some a really long intense fun crazy adventure with all these different characters coming together interacting crazy inventive beautiful action sequences a really good film for Thanos a really good film for all my characters I felt emotions good times um, number three all oh, dangerous so dangerous I think I'm gonna go with the Avengers very hard to put this less than one, but I feel like the next two are just supplying it, just a little bit. The Avengers is still one of the best cinematic events I've ever had in my life. Uh, I love all the characters, seeing them come together. Again, the action sequences were great, the character interactions were wonderful, Joss Whedon did a great job. A good time for everybody involved, clearly. Um, then, oh, this is the worst part, trying to pick between these two. Oh god, I'm dying. Um, I think I'm gonna go with uh, today. Today I'm gonna go with Winter Soldier, Captain America Winter Soldier, which is ugh, yes, is my number two. I love that film for the whole uh, thriller spy esque genre that it was going for. It felt a lot more gritty, realistic. The themes about like you know it was the uh, power and control, government, and uh, you know finding out about the whole Hydra thing was really good. The characters were great. Great character development for Cat and um, Black Widow, the action sequences with the hand-to-hand combat was delicious, good time, great movie. And then obviously it has to be Civil War at number one just because it carries on the uh, Captain America story but also introduces the rest of the Avengers like scale of events. 
this is the first film that sort of felt like there was like you know repercussion for what the Avengers have done. It had a great balance between the uh, drama and the humor, and the use of characters were great. A wonderful introduction for Black Panther and Spider Man. The airport sequence is just godly, and yes, good time. Oh, okay, I'm gonna sit down. <laughs> Sorry to stress you out there, pal. Uh, you're ho- you're awful. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we share four of the top five, which is kind of not surprising because. The, the top ones are usually shared by a lot of people so this is probably gonna hurt you a little bit but my number five is captain america winter soldier oh i know <laughs> i know uh so my number four is iron man oh number three guardians of the galaxy nice number two is the first avengers my number one film is infinity war nice right so nice, captain america like much like the same reasons why you like it it has a really fun thriller aspect it was the first one um to really feel like there was some sort of stakes i mean like as despite how we just talked about how they did it last like it hit the ending you're like holy crap and like it was a big revelation and really fun iron man uh it set the template for like what a superhero movie should be like i've said this before like that's the that's if you're gonna make a superhero origin movie, reference Iron Man, and it's what they did. Like uh, that's the the basis for the super for for, for the um, for the Marvel formula. Uh, but I mean, it's just it's even like you said, eleven years later, it's still still a great and fun film. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, man, like that soundtrack is just top notch, and just like the the characters and and like the absurdity of it all, like with what James Gunn brings into it, is just it's so enjoyable and entertaining and like i can i think between those that and iron man are probably the two most watched films of of the mcu for me oh nice uh, uh for the avengers um for the longest time i was until infinity war came out this was my number one and that's because of besides it being a great film and and you know like josh reed josh whedon has like a terrific eye when it comes to like uh, ensemble films and 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 how to write the characters like so they feel different and stand out from each other um just what it accomplished like the fact that it brought together six different heroes that were in they were introduced for them in their own movies that was huge at the time so just as a cinematic accomplishment is uh, is one of the reasons why it's ranked so high on my list yeah which which then also actually is why infinity war is so high on the list because the Avengers brought together five films, Infinity War brought together nineteen, and they and it did it well, and it balanced those characters in a way that most people would be intimidated to even try to pull off. And then the fact that they made the the villain of the story, the protagonist, and the heroes the antagonists, like I can't think of another movie that's pulled a move like that and done it, you know. It's, so wonderfully and in such a way that you're like damn yeah so endgame comes out at the end of april april 26th or if you got pre the thursday preview tickets on the 25th so i want to play like a little game i guess with you um so if somehow somebody has never been a part of the mcu never experienced it before and but they want to go see endgame what would you consider to be like the quintessential viewing 
to see Endgame and, and, and get caught up on all the major plot points for that movie. So, so you can't do all 20, right? Obviously, you have to do only a handful. Ugh. <laughs> Why do you come up with these horrible things? Now I have to... Oh, no. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm trying to be fairly selective here. This is... No offense, this is probably going to be more personal to me. This is what I feel is quintessential. But at the same time, I'm trying to be practical about this at the same time, which is really tricky. Oh, Okay, so let's see. There's 21 films right now. If I'm hazarding a guess right off the top of my head right now, I think I could... I, I think I can get it down to seven. Okay. I, I think I can do you one better and go, go at six. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Alright, nah, so I'll let, I'll let you start. Because I'm uh, nice. <laughs> oh, you, you're the worst, man. Okay, so let's see what we got here. Um, Alright, this is my seven. In order... Um, just so you have, I guess, whatever full context you can get. Um, I'm starting off with Iron Man. To me, there is no MCU without this guy. You have to start at the starting point. You technically could somehow get it out of this list, but at the same time, I feel like for the full context of the weight of this universe, you have to start with Tony. It's the origin point of everything. Secondly, there's the Avengers. This film sort of sets up the group dynamic that will, you know, transcend the rest of these films and then lead to future crossovers later on. It'll, it will introduce you to the majority of the team and you'll understand their group dynamic, how they save the world and then how the rest of the world becomes aware of how these Avengers-based people operate. Then you have Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, there's a few characters introduced here that have certain, like, you know, was it uh, repercussions later on, but also there's certain stuff that goes on with Captain America, which is integral to its sequel, uh, Civil War, but I'll get to that one in a second. Then you have Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians team are, without a doubt, one of the best families in this cinematic universe, but also, in order for you to understand, like, um, some of the... Uh, stuff going on with the Infinity Stones, also understand space, and then see how these integral characters feed into Infinity War, this is quintessential. Then there's Civil War, that introduces us to Black Panther and Spider-Man, but also brings along all these other characters as well, who are pretty notable, that all have their like uh, aspects that you have to weave into this thing. Then you have Doctor Strange, and the reason I want to bring him in, because not only he has one of the Infinity Stones as well, but he is also kind of quintessential to the Infinity War storyline. And then you have Infinity War, and that's about it. I've just realized I may have missed one, um, but to be honest, I'm sticking to my guns and just sticking with my seven. <laughs> I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so this is going to be fun, because our, our lists actually vary quite a bit. So... I'm with you, Iron Man. Uh, I like that's it's a focal point. It, it's it's the the Big Bang of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think you, I'm with you. I think you could probably get away with not watching it, but to really fully appreciate everything in the MCU, you need to watch Iron Man. Um, and then Avengers. That's um, like I don't think you really need Thor's and Captain America's introductory stories. Um, I think that. I think that you can just get off what you need from the Avengers film. Next, Guardians of the Galaxy. Because uh, that one, it, it 
it's the first one to really explain what the Infinity Stones are, and it sets up, um, it's like Thanos is really being like this major threat across the universe. Um, and then my next is, isn't until Doctor Strange. Like, as you said, he's a huge part of Infinity War, and he's got a, one of the stones. Um, but he also kind of, so I guess to go back to Guardians real quick, that, that kind of opens the idea of like the larger like space side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where Doctor Strange then brings in the kind of like the magic side of things. So another aspect of the MCU, right? Yeah. And then Infinity War, for obvious reasons. Of course. And then I'm going to say Ant-Man and the Wasp, only because I feel like the Quantum Realm is going to be a huge part of Endgame. So I think to be able to ha- have that introduction is important. Oh, but this, of course. But this is just a hunch. Like, I don't know for sure. If it's not, then I made a bad choice and not to put that in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I mean, you could, I could also say maybe throw Age of Ultron in there because it yeah, introduces that, like, that's the, the one I was thinking of as the well. The Mind Stone and Vision, yeah. Um, and then the, because that also kind of shows like the capabilities of the of, of what the stones can do and you know I, I could say maybe throw civil war in there but i th- i feel like in terms of the overall narrative that's not super important i think it's not because it's not really referenced again until infinity war when when tony's like steve and i aren't talking right now so in terms yeah, of like yeah. the, the overarching story for mcu i honestly don't feel like that has a su- super large impact so those so Age of Ultron and Civil War kind of like maybes if you really want to add in a couple extra wrinkles, but I I think those six that I named off are the are my quintessential end game viewing yeah movies. The only reason I included Civil War is just because obviously you have solo movies for Spider Man and uh, Black Panther, but I feel like Civil War did a pretty good job of introducing these characters. And giving you enough context so that when they do reappear in Infinity War, you understand who they are, because they've made an appearance and they have like relevance, and you don't have to watch their own solo films because you you understand pretty much who they are and why they've interacted with some of these people beforehand. You know that's probably true. I guess I would probably because of your argument right there, I think I would probably actually add that one. So then I'm up to seven as well. <laughs> yes, I win. <laughs> Presents for me. <laughs> so there you go. So so seven. So I think that's not bad. You know, uh, only watching a third of them to fully understand the story. Yeah, not bad. I think we did well. <laughs> okay. So now I want to look forward. Like we've we've talked about like the good and the bad so far, and kind of our favorites of everything that have been out. But now let's look forward to kind of what's coming out, or at least what's been announced as a part of Phase Four. So first off, we have Spider-Man: Far From Home, which is set to come out this this July, uh, July fifth. Um, it's directed yeah. by John Watts, which I think did the first Homecoming movie. Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so th- on this movie, it sees a wall crawler go to Europe for a school trip, and while he's there, he gets wrapped up working with Fury on on some mission. So again, I'm looking forward to this film because it's a Spider-Man film. The only thing I'm a little wary of is it has nothing to do with this film really. It's kind of more of an observation on the MCU as a whole. But 
after these two films, we still don't have like a proper film of Spidey in NYC, right? New York City is where Spider-Man is at his best. And so like I can kind of see like why in Homecoming they kind of took him away from that because they've had five movies already all in New York City. Uh, and so they kind of wanted to try to, to separate themselves from that. But at some point they need to come back there because that kind of what makes Spidey Spidey. So yeah. um, I'm kind of disappointed that we still have to wait for that. But they're bringing in Mysterio. They're bringing in uh, the Sinister Six, uh, which is something that the Amazing Spider-Man series tried to do and, you know, failed at. Uh, <laughs> so to see them uh, is, is really cool. Um, and, and Fury is always fun to see. So, like Samuel Jackson is just Fury is just great. Oh, yeah, definitely. I am stupidly excited for this just because more spider-man is just you know a good time like we discussed in like one of our podcast episodes from last year like 2018 really was like the comeback year of spider-man with uh, his appearance in um infinity war as uh you know spider-man into the spider-verse it was just like it feels nice to be in an environment now where everyone actually wants to see spider-man again as opposed to like the sort of post um andrew garfield pre-civil war uh, period where everyone was just like sick of Spider-Man as you said I love Spider-Man in the uh, you know New York environment seeing him run around the city web slinging running off of like buildings and stuff like that which the Sam Raimi films really nicely established as like you know an interesting way to see Spider-Man like running around in live action I want to see more of that uh, we haven't seen too much web slinging from Tom Holland's character and I want to see more of that I don't know how much we're going to get of that in Europe, depending on where he goes. He could either be in an area that has a fair amount of buildings to, you know, pull off some tricks, but we'll see, we'll see. I'm interested to see where, you know, uh, Peter Parker's relationship goes, um, not only with his friends, but also with um, MJ, if this is actually going to, you know, continue to be a thing. I want to see what kind of, like, relationship he has with uh, Nick Fury and uh, Maria Hill. And I'm so curious to see what Jake Gyllenhaal is going to do as Mysterio. Mysterio is a villain that I think a lot of people wanted to see since the time that, was it, Spider-Man 4 was in development, but then obviously got cancelled in favour of The Amazing Spider-Man. It's a really nice inspired choice. I hope they get the character right. He looks the part so far, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Alright, so the next one is Black Widow, which we talked about needed to happen a long time ago. But we're finally yeah. get, we're, But we're finally getting it. Uh, it's directed by Kate Shortland, um, and really the only cast that's been confirmed so far is um, Scarlett Johansson as, as, as Black Widow, uh, Florence Pug, I think is how you say it, Pug, uh, Pug probably, uh, David Harbour and Rachel Weiss. Like I, I think Rachel Weiss and David Harbour actually were just rec- like very recently announced as attached yeah. to this. But other than that, like, really not much is known. Actually, I'll just say this right now. Outside of Spider-Man Far From Home, none of these movies that we're about to talk about really have much information yet. Um, Yeah, it's literally just, like, in the early stages of, like, either pre-production or just been said to be happening. Yeah, yeah. So there's really not much known outside of maybe, like, the attached directors and some cast. But what I think what I would really like to see out of this is I really want to see... Natasha's backstory. I mean, like, we've had comments from other films. We got some brief flashbacks in Age of Ultron. But we don't really know, like, much about Natasha and kind of, like, where she came from. Um, the Everything about the 
Red Room and where she and and how she got her training and how she became a part of Shield after her after she defected. So I want to see all that fleshed out. Um, I mean, as much as they can. I mean, I hope they don't try to split it up throughout a couple movies. I hope that they just take the opportunity, like, okay, we're doing a Black Widow movie now. We should expand her backstory as much as we can while we have the chance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've heard like numerous talks from many a film fan whether this is actually going to be you know a continuation of the current world of the MCU or this is going to be an origin story. Some people don't want either or. I could be happy with both. All I really want is just a proper satisfying thriller-esque film where you focus in on all these spy elements that were mainly introduced in you know the Winter Soldier and you know fully capitalize on that. Th- uh, action thrillers can be so much fun with all the you know. Uh, the hiding, the spying, you know, was it the uh, covert stuff? If you have to use, like, you know, is it uh, handguns and stuff like that? There's uh, numerous types of, like, different guns that you can use, whether you're sniping people or getting up and close and personal. And we've seen that uh, she could handle herself fairly well from a distance and, like, you know, up close and personal. So I want to see all those sort of tactical ways that she could take people out. I want to see the sort of, like, relationship she has with potential people beyond like you know the main cast that we have in like uh you know the mcu so far uh maybe see how she ended up like you know meeting some of these people forming some of these connections i want like a film where she's on her own against like you know essentially the world maybe has a few allies dotted about here and there but i just want something that's a little bit more serious a little more gritty a little uh dirty with like some moral um ambiguity here and there actually do you know what I just thought of would be really cool? If we had, if her movie was like John Wick in the MCU, like we see her go around and there's this um, network of connections that she has and kind of how that interacts with like the, like in this Tassin underworld. Uh, and or like, or maybe like you said, like the more moral ambiguity area of like what S.H.I.E.L.D. operated or had her operate in. That, that, that could be fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another one is called The Eternals. It's directed by Chloe Zhao, and the only star that's been attached so far is Angelina Jolie. Now, The Eternals are kind of like another one of those like w- weird franchises that probably not many people have heard of, because quite frankly, even in the Marvel comics, they're rarely ever used. And actually, like in a recent story, they were pretty much all killed off, like off-panel, which kind of sucks. But just like a brief quick overview that the Eternals are like an offshoot of, of humanity. So back in the early days, like when they were still not quite evolved into humans yet, they were experimented on by the Celestials, which were introduced in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And these experiments created these, these long living eternal beings, which is where their name comes from. And they're essentially like they're meant to become the protectors of Earth. Uh, so and it personally kind of reminds me of the Inhumans, but instead of the Kree, it's the the Celestials that were doing this experimentation. Like, there's been some comments from Nick Feige that that this movie is going to kind of use Eternals to kind of show, like, the basis of Earth myths. And, and like, kind of came from, like, the, the early humans, like, seeing, like, these Eternals and then interpreting that. And that's where all, these, all of their myths come from. Um, honestly, I'm not sure what I really want or expect out of this movie. I have no really specific expectations, um, mostly because I really don't know much about the characters themselves to know what kind of movie they should make yeah yeah i've only ever really heard about them uh via certain comic book discussion mainly through uh was it john schnapp on like you know his previous collider hero show 
so I'm only vaguely aware of who they are, but much like a lot of these other Marvel properties beforehand, if handled in the right way and they assemble the right kind of like uh, director and cast, I'm in. So I'll be curious. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what uh, Angelina jo- Jolie would do in a MCU like uh, film, because uh, yeah, man, she, her husband's already been in a Marvel film. Granted, it was a Fox one, but like, um, <laughs> it'd be uh, well, former hubby, should I say? Yeah. Um, but yeah, nah, I'm I'm curious. I'm very curious. Uh, so the next are two two sequels. We got first off is Doctor Strange two, uh, who is it's going to be directed once again by Scott uh, Derrickson, who directed the first one. So far, the only ones I, I can find that are confirmed to return are Benedict Cumberbatch, Rachel McAdams, Benedict Wong, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. I can never say his name correctly, uh, but those are, but those are the only ones that I can find confirmed. However, they have confirmed that the villains are going to be uh, Baron Mordo, which is um, one guy who I can't say his name. It's, it's his character from the first one. And Nightmare, which is kind of like um, Sandman from the Sandman comics, if you know who that is. Or just kind of like, he, he's like a myth, um, a mystical dream being. Like, he's in charge of all the dreams and stuff like that in, in, in the world. So I think from this movie, I want to see a lot more magic. More of the whole, like different dimension things like how they explore the kind of that in the first one like how the ancient one said oh there's all these dimensions and we got to see dormammu's dimension like i want to see like them really go full-on dimension weirdness and 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 i want to see strange like just how much his skills have changed i don't think they really said exactly how much time happens in between dr strange and infinity war but we see a clear growth from where he ended his solo movie to what we see in, in infinity war and so I want to see more of more magic, more intense spells th- th- for him to cast and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. I quite like Doctor Strange a fair amount. I think it was just because of the world and like you know the concept of like uh, the abilities that they were able to use, like the mirror dimension, like you know using those weird sling rings and creating portals, and uh, the combination of using like martial arts in uh, tandem with magic is really cool. I want to see way more magic, like you said, more dimensional hopping. I want to see this stuff get weird because um, Infinity War especially opened the door to so many possibilities. Now we see how crazy Strange has gotten with his abilities. Uh, you know, he and the cape are one when it comes to like, you know, levitation and all that sort of stuff. But the amount of magic skills he has now at his fingertips is great. So if we don't have super crazy creative action sequences, I am going to be thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so then next is Black Panther 2. Uh, so once again, that will be going to be directed by Ryan Coogler, uh, which is fantastic because he just did an amazing job with with all aspects of, of the first Black Panther movie. Yeah. Uh, so, But so far, nobody has been confirmed, uh, but it's been at least stated that the main cast of the previous Black Panther previous black panther movie will return which includes michael b jordan so i don't know if that's going to be like a flashback role or like he somehow survived that stabbing and falling off the cliff like i don't know but he's apparently stated that he's going to come back so i don't know what that means but honestly i just want more black panther in this movie like everything that they did in in black panther one 
I just want that again in Black Panther 2. Yeah, um, bring back the entire creative team. Um, I love the costumes. I like the uh, area of Wakanda. You know, all the cast in that film were great. The only things that I would like to see more of is uh, one, I want to see more of Wakanda. Sort of like what they did with, um, you know, from Thor to, uh, you know, Thor 2 and 3. We got to see more of Asgard beyond, like, you know, was it just the Great Hall? So we've been in, like, um, you know, I guess the sort of, I guess, royal chambers in that sort of um, secret area where they, um, you know, gave uh, Black Panthers, like, you know, their strength with the, you know, the fancy urban and all that. But I want to see more of the areas of, like, uh, Wakanda. And on top of that, I also want to see more um, practical fight sequences because those are my favorite in the film. Seeing the people outside of their suits just running around, um, punching and kicking and like you know swiping at each other with those, uh, especially with the trial uh, by combat like you know sequences on that waterfall. Those were really well choreographed. There was a sense of weight and intensity to it, and. While I know, obviously, the Green Panther... Not Green Panther, my gosh. <laughs> what was I thinking of? <laughs> and, uh, color. Yeah. <laughs> and while I know the Black Panther has, like, you know, the herb to, you know, obviously enhance his strength to the point where, obviously, the stuff that he does cannot be done practically, there was a certain level of CGI that was in, like, uh, Black Panther that just didn't look as clean as the rest of the film. And there's a certain level of martial artsy kind of stuff that I feel he did better in Civil War than he did in his own film. And I just want to see more uh, hand-to-hand combat, as much practical as they can get, because it can be done. It just needs a little bit of like you know retooling. Maybe look at some of the um, African styles of fight techniques, because those guys have some really interesting fight techniques when you uh, put them against like you know what we know to be conventional hand-to-hand combat as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that'd be really cool to see more of that. Cause, I, cause I really like how like Hollywood in general has been moving more towards like the practical effects. Like, um, I'm I'm glad that we have CGI, and I'm I'm glad that we kind of had that phase where they tried to do everything in CGI, because because now we got this era where they've learned how to properly implement CGI and not to just like we can do this character in, or this this effect in CGI. Like now they're moving more towards like we're gonna do this effect practically, and then use a CGI to make it better. Yeah. So that's so if if they could do more of that in the Black Panther two, that can only make it better. For sure. So another movie that's coming out or has been announced is Shang Chi, uh, who in the comics he's like this the master of martial arts. He was created at the time to capitalize on the popularity of kung fu films. Um, so just think of him like the Marvel Bruce Lee, essentially. Um, and and so, so this movie is going to be directed by Destin Daniel Krelton. And other than that, there's nothing else about this so far. All, all it has right now is a director. So I think just kind of knowing like the history of how the character came about and 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 what what he can do in the comics, but I would like to see just a pure kung fu film like even borderline cheesy like like uh, that really leans into the martial arts aspects and like the wire work and maybe even some like the wushu uh stuff like what jet Li and some of the other uh martial artists are known for for their movies like 
really go into that and kind of but 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 set in the Marvel universe where it, you know like these all like high flying heroes are there, but but just like classic kung fu. Yeah, yeah. When I heard this was announced, I'm like, okay, this is a chance for us to get proper martial arts done in the MCU because we've had like really varied forms of martial arts here and there hand-to-hand combat in different forms whether you're talking about the latter two Captain America films or uh, Daredevil on um, Netflix we don't talk about that other show because um, (laughs) it's a disappointment but yeah this is the first chance that they have to like properly demonstrate that they are fully aware that this person's supposed to be the most badass person when it comes to martial arts I want them to lean in hard. I want hand-to-hand combat that can be seen, no quick cuts, really long takes, angle that stuff correctly. I want this to be proper theatrical with all sorts of crazy uh, hand movements and uh, charismatic people that you can see are well-versed in their craft. I want something that's tapping into that sort of Bruce Lee era of like um, full-on charisma and charm and intensity. Maybe if, I doubt they do it now because not many people use slow motion in that way, but if you have one of those sort of like slow motion kicks into someone that falls into like some boxes or something, that would be crazy cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. So then the last film, which has a little bit of controversy behind it, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Oh, yes. So James Gunn is returning after much... Theatrics, I guess. No, yeah. that's not a bad word for it. After yeah. It's controversy, really, I guess. But he is returning, which is fantastic, because he did such a great job for 1 and 2. I mean, like I said, 1's up there is one of my favorite Marvel films. And I just want to see him bring some of these elements that he's dropped in 1 and 2 together into 3. Yeah. Because uh, the world that he's opened up is just vast. And, so, and, and he's developed his characters very well over the last two films uh that i want to see like a proper conclusion onto their story so far the only cast that i can see are chris pat dave bautista palm clementif and uh, elizabeth Debicki. so that's it so far um and like that's not to say it's going to change but we know jamora died on uh when thanos was trying to get the soap stone so i i almost kind of want that death to stay like i like we it's kind of assumed that they're gonna undo a lot of deaths from the snap yeah but i think anything pre-snap i think they should stay dead because that's a good way to really add weight to thanos's story but also the heroes and change the stakes that they are severely lacking as we discussed earlier so like like loki and gamora like they need to stay dead. As much as I want to see them come back and and enjoy seeing them, you know, in these movies, they should probably not return. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can kind of just talk about what I want out of this movie. Just as more Guardians, I want to see a good conclusion for the story. I want and I want to see more of like the the fun, uh, like the music and and more Groot. We can always use more Groot. Yeah, Guardians number one is one of my all-time favorite like experiences from the cinema. And Guardians two, while I didn't like as much, it still had a lot of really great stuff in there. Especially the sort of like uh, family dynamic was uh, tested and strengthened. So by the time you obviously got to uh, Infinity War, you felt like this family was being ripped apart because of like you know Thanos and you know his whole snapping. 
I want to see more of you know this uh, galaxy that uh, Gunn has opened up. Him and his like you know writing staff and the rest of the creative team at Marvel have created this really interesting world that is just ripe for exploring. I just want to see more types of aliens, uh, different worlds. You know that crazy color scheme that shines the brightest when it's out in space. Um, maybe I don't know if they'll get the watches back again, but if they could do that again, that'd be really cool. And yeah, just. If they could keep Gamora dead, that'd be great because we've had enough fake out deaths, like, you know, to last us for quite a while. I want there to be some permanent death in this world. And yeah, I would love to have her back as well. So, you know, either or, but if she was dead, that would be thematically a lot more powerful. And I would give Marvel, like, you know, was it a lot more credit for, you know, just going ahead and changing up the team dynamic that way. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped to see the film either way. I'm curious to see how it develops. Awesome. And so I think on that, we can bring this episode to a close. Yay. Dude, thank you so much, man, for uh, for letting me host your show today. I've had an absolute blast. So how does it feel to be on the other side of the table? It feels unnatural. I want this to stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, it's, it's been right. a good time, honestly. Like, um, It's always interesting to have someone else's perspective and um, since you were driving the show you presented a whole lot of interesting points for me to you know jump off of which is always fun so now this is cool if you ever want to host the show again let me know although you know was it just uh, they'll allow me to wake up in the basement first (laughs) all right will do all right so I'm sure that your listeners know already like where they can find you but how can they get a hold of you like where like where can they find you where can they hold of you and and what are your socials all right well I exist in the universe as the hypersonic 55 you can find me on Twitter at hypersonic 55 or at film focus 55 the blog is WordPress that's where I'm at hypersonic55.wordpress.com and um, yeah, this podcast, Film Focus, can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Join us. We'd love to have you there. And uh, Drew, how about yourself? Tell the wonderful <laughs> people where they can find you, my friend. All right. So I can be found on my blog, Drew's Movie Reviews, at drewreviewmovies.wordpress.com. You can follow Drew's Movie Reviews on Facebook, or you can follow me at Drew to the Future on Twitter. Um, and thank you so much for listening. You know, please sh- share any comments about how you feel about the state of the MCU up to this point. Like, what, what, like what's the good? What's the bad? And what are you looking forward to seeing uh, within the MCU after Avengers Endgame? So that concludes another episode of Film Focus. Until next time, this is Drew and Hypersonic 55 signing out. See ya. Peace. Mm-hmm.